0: Chapter 4. Shoalhaven. Jim woke to the sound of gulls. He blinked the sleep from his eyes and tried to focus on the movement above him. He recognised Puggle's long-necked silhouette, flying in tight circles around the mast to ward the smaller birds from her territory. On instinct, he stretched, cautious of the wound in his back, and realised for the first time that he wasn't cooped in the gibbet but rather sleeping on the Archon's deck. Someone had covered him with a spare sail for a blanket. Pushing himself to his feet with surprising ease, Jim realised the ship was no longer moving, but was now anchored in a wide, misty bay, littered with great rocks and nestled in the arms of dry, craggy cliffs. It was early dawn from the dull light, though a handful of the crew were already going about their business.
1: Longboat returning!
0: cried Gam from the top of the foremast. His words spurred those of the crew that were still suffering last night's stupor to rouse themselves from lying to sitting, from sitting to standing, or from standing to giving the appearance of work. Jim, having no task to pretend to, instead peered out into the mist, trying for a glimpse of his new home. Gam's eyes were almost as keen as his hearing, especially in dull light, but eventually Jim too spotted the wooden rowboat, that was usually hung from their stern, now heading back toward them from shore. By the time the captain climbed over the gunwale, all the crew were at least vertical, and mostly crowded around, eager for word from port.
2: "'Metals are shifted, and Vess bought the trinkets we dug up in Epsilon.'
0: the captain announced, taking a small sack of jangling metal from Slip, who had climbed up behind him.
2: No luck with the plastics.
0: There were groans from the crew. The plastics were by far the bulk of the hull from the trossel. The captain held up a hand.
2: No matter. We've got enough to get us to Kroklev with a good wind. Plenty of cycle works there. We'll take the night at anchor. Leave on the tide at noon bell tomorrow. Got some business to attend to on shore.
0: He glanced sideways at Slip, before adding,
2: "'Sar is in town.'
0: At this, there was uproar among the crew, ranging from alarm and fear to outright anger. The captain held up a hand.
2: "'It's no tussle. We just leave a light crew on board, keep her moving in case he decides to try his luck at winning her back. We'll draw straws for shore leave. Now,
0: shares.' Daj banged her staff on the deck to silence the crowd, and with Slip's help, began doling out small knots of bar coin to the crew while preparations were made for going ashore. Jim stared out toward the land. As the morning drew on, the hot sun began to burn off the mist. All about him, the water was littered with what he'd first taken to be huge rocks, but that he soon realized were in fact ancient ruined buildings. Great mounds of Angular, crumbling concrete jutted from the water, magflies buzzing around exposed steel bars. A great city, perhaps, now drowned. And there, on the shore, that place that fate had decided would be his new home Shoalhaven. A crowded stone jetty reached out into the bay, beyond which the sounds of trade and industry carried across the water. He felt dizzy from the speed that his life was changing. Three days ago, he'd been indentured on a workship, dreaming of the day when he could work ashore. Now here he was, about to set foot on land. A wave of anxiety hit him, unbidden. He was technically still the property of the Trossel. What if they had people here? What if he was taken, flogged and shipped back, or worse? He took a deep breath. He'd never been to Shoalhaven in all his years aboard, if the Trossel had people here, they'd never recognise him. There was no way they could have gotten word out this far already. If he was honest with himself, they'd probably not even care that he was gone.
2: Hey, we'll go ashore on the bell. Grab your things.
0: Jim whirled around to see the captain, who was climbing down from the mizzenmast and clutching a tattered bycock hat.
2: I don't have any things, remember?
0: replied Jim coldly. The weld gear. We've no use for it, the captain said, dropping to the deck. Oh, and here. He tossed a small jangle of metal to Jim. It was bar coin. A small knot of frayed cord threaded through a half-dozen two-inch-long ingots of copper, tin, and even silver. He'd never had any of his own before, though he'd seen plenty change hands. There was enough here to eat for a week. Not salt rice, but real food. He looked at the captain, puzzlement on his face.
2: This isn't a workship. You work, you get paid.
0: But... Though before Jim could respond, the captain was halfway across the deck, giving orders to Boulder, North, and the rest of the reserve crew.
3: Oh,
2: he does that. Don't take it personally,
0: Waylon wheezed, dragging a sack of wreckage from his workshop.
2: He's too busy to listen to me most of the time.
0: He gave a weak smile and stooped to collect his much-abused neckerchief from the floor before mopping his cheeks.
2: Come on, I'll help you with your gear.
0: Between the two of them, a pair of the trossel's weld tanks were hoisted over the gunwales and down to the longboat bound for shore. But when Jim made for the ladder, Wayland didn't follow. You're not coming? Jim asked, one leg already over the rail. Oh, Waylon peered over the side anxiously.
2: I'm not brilliant with the water. Come on,
0: Porks, don't play it, down, eh? Caber barked a laugh and shoved Waylon roughly toward the gunwale before clambering down himself. Waylon clutched the wooden rail tightly and steadied himself, smiling sheepishly at Jim. Don't like this small boats much, is all. He pried one hand free of the rail. "'dried it on his robe and held it out toward Jim.
2: "'Farewell, Jim Hatcher. "'It was a pleasure meeting you.'
0: "'Jim took the clammy hand and shook it firmly.
2: "'Good luck, Wayland Smith. "'Try not to attract any monsters, yeah?'
0: "'The chubby boy smiled, "'and Jim departed the Archon, a free man. "'The shore party had split up "'by the time they reached the end of the jetty eager to spend their bar and enjoy the pleasures of port before they set sail again. Kelpie waved to Jim, and so did the twins, but most of the crew seemed to have forgotten him the moment their feet were on dry land. And he couldn't blame them. Shoalhaven was an assault on the senses. He knew it wasn't the biggest town he'd seen, not even close, but it was the first time he'd set foot inside one, rather than just peering down longingly from a hole in the trossel's hull. Everything was bigger and more daunting from down here. There were full-growns everywhere. Even they seemed larger now after spending three days surrounded by the Archon's young crew. There seemed to be a different smell around every corner, some sweet, some foul, and some that made his stomach growl angrily. But all were alien to him, and he didn't have the words to name them. If he'd have been abandoned to his own devices, Jim felt that he might have drowned in the press of bodies or become lost in the maze of leaning shacks and shanty. But as it was, he was led, half dragged through the port by the captain. Jim half imagined that this might be it, that now the crew weren't around, the act was finally up, and that he'd be sold off after all. But soon the leaning buildings began to spread out and fall into disrepair, and they were following a small track away from town.
2: Um, sir, captain, where are we, uh... I'm not your captain, kid. I'm taking you to Syrinx. She'll patch up your back. She's a medica.
0: Jim had always imagined expensive healers would live in fancier parts of town. The captain glanced over his shoulder as he strode. She's an alginist, a splicer. Jim tried to swallow and found that he couldn't. He'd heard of splicers, of course, but had never met anyone who admitted to even having seen one. Every town had them, supposedly, a mad old witch or hermit you'd go to if you didn't trust prayer to make sure your crops didn't succumb to the blight, or to make sure your child was going to be born all proper. His hand went to his bandaged eye. Not just tech, but tech meddling with life. Only the ancient thinking machines were a greater heresy than that. Jim's step faltered as he followed the captain down the track, which was now soft and bogged with salt water, and he crossed himself for protection. The captain seemed to find his superstition amusing.
2: I wouldn't do that in front of her if I were you. She might splice you with a frog.
0: The path led them into a small copse of mangroves that clung to the sandy soil and sucked at the water. Jim could have sworn something croaked at him when the path subsided and his foot slipped into a murky pool. A squat square of crumbling concrete stood at the centre of the grove, the trees seeming to keep a respectful distance. A door of ill fitting steel sat in its centre, magflies buzzing at a rusty hinge. The captain waved at a small dome above the door. There was a click that scattered the magflies, and he stepped through beckoning for Jim to follow. The urge to cross himself again was strong, but he wrung his hands and stepped inside. The interior was even worse than Jim had imagined. There were flies, organic ones, buzzing around bowls of a foul-smelling sludge. Oil candles burned, giving off a thick and acrid smoke, and every surface was covered in trinkets of knotted wood, threshed reeds and bone. Jim's good eyes stung and
1: watered. Cap, my back isn't so bad, you know, he whispered. Maybe we should... Gil
0: You had us worried, child. A woman emerged from behind a curtain made of thin copper chains that sang as she passed. Worried?
2: Rinks. come on, after all these years...
0: The captain took her hand and bowed deeply, removing his hat. His rusty red hair was suddenly the brightest thing in the room. Gil Mackinock. Jim wondered at the name. It had never occurred to him that the captain couldn't just be called Cap.
2: Jim Hatcher, I'd like you to meet Syrinx Wren. Finest splicer for a hundred clicks.
0: Please. Four hundred at least. The woman peered at Jim with keen eyes that seemed to take him in all at once. Her hair was wrapped inside a rich fabric that sat atop her head, and her face was dark and noble, adorned with intricate lines of even darker ink. Jim decided she didn't fit with her surroundings. She seemed to make her mind up about Jim and turned her attention back to the captain. Thought they had you this time, Mark, she said. Shaking her head slowly,
1: came to me with a vial of blood. Made me read it, detailed too, not just a skim. Even came inside to watch, all praying and crossing themselves and spitting at my gear.
0: She glanced at Jim,
1: then leaned closer to Cap. Thing is, this blood—it looked like yours, Mark, just like. I thought it was, till I looked deeper and saw true.
0: Well, I'm still beaten, he laughed and thumped his chest.
2: Not mine, Rinks. No worries.
0: She turned and led him
1: through the copper curtain. No worries for you, as may be. But they've got some other poor soul with the tinkered blood, eh?
0: Jim hesitated, then decided to follow them through the heavy chain curtain. His breath lodged in his throat as he stepped into the room beyond. It couldn't have been more different to the filthy shack outside. It made Wayland's workshop look like a child's playroom, but where his tech was of trinkets and beeping gadgets, here was a trove of illuminated tanks, bubbling pipes and curious lensed devices clamped to the worktops. The walls were shielded with beaten copper sheets, which bent and warmed the cool light of the tanks, giving it an otherworldly hue. An old white man was slouched in a corner, his long, wispy beard and hair accentuating his drooping frame, but he perked upright upon seeing the captain and tried to stand.
3: Gilly! Gill, my old friend!
0: Cap laid a hand on his shoulder and crouched beside him.
2: Hello, Loken. Don't get up. Is she treating you well?
0: The old man gurned and looked sidelong at Syrinx, who rolled her eyes and shook her head.
3: She keeps me locked up like a dog. Filthy pretender. Always wants to know things. Secrets, yes? Won't let me out to swim.
1: They've been hassling him. Rinks explained. Last time was bad. Started asking him about old scanned stories from him childhood. Sends him backward.
2: Still, you're supposed to keep him comfortable, Rinks.
1: The captain admonished.
2: He's no use to anyone like this, poor fool.
1: Oh, come. He's been no use for years. His secrets are long dried up, child.
0: She helped the old man into a chair and fixed Cap with a hard stare.
1: What's fool? Is they started asking these questions after getting hold of some old scan relic? Something that got them buzzing like bees with no queen. Asking about thule. Asking about fear folk.
2: Lots of relics around, Rinks.
0: World's a big sea. The captain shrugged, not meeting her eye.
1: Thing is, they got this one from this.
0: She raised an eyebrow and pursed her lips.
1: Eight weeks are back, hmm? Oh, right, the captain mumbled sheepishly. Got to be careful with them bits of the past, Mark. It's one thing selling to a rich keep, but thought you'd know better than harking secrets where the church could buy them.
2: Ah, uh, Past is the past, Rinks. None of it's coming back. It's just cot stories and stupid dreams. Dool. he laughed. They're welcome to it. If they're off chasing some made-up island, there's less of them here hassling us.
1: Hm. Mm. And they fear folk too, eh? Just another made-up island, you think? She said, sucking
0: her teeth and raising an eyebrow at him sceptically, before turning her gaze to Jim, who suddenly felt two inches shorter.
1: So? What have you brought this one for? He's the newest Arcanat. He's not crew,
2: just a kid. He got hurt by one of mine. I'd see him patched, if you're able. Ha!
1: If he says no in full well, she
0: tisked and appraised Jim anew, reaching for the bandage over his eye. Jim flinched and stepped away. No, it's my back, miss. Sorry, my back. He turned, lifting his shirt as much as he was able. He felt her hands near his, and she gently lifted it clear, tutting as she inspected the wound. Burns.
1: Some dead flesh here too. You've been in some tussle lad, haven't you, eh? It was a tech thing, miss.
0: Jim explained nervously, realising this was the closest he'd been to a woman since his mother. There was a gentle hand at his mouth, and a cloth. He mumbled into it, but no sound came out. Only darkness crept in. When he woke, he found his face was pressed against a firm cot. He moved his head and realised he'd been drooling. Pushing himself to sitting, he found his chest was bare but bandaged, and the grubby dressings on his burned forearms had been replaced. There was the familiar tang of licks on his dry tongue. As his senses returned, he realised his bad eye was no longer bandaged. He looked around, trying to find the makeshift covering, and locked eyes with the old white man they'd called Loken, who stared at him, wide-eyed, past bushy eyebrows. Loken sprung toward him with surprising vigour and thrust his head toward Jim's, fixated on his shrunken, pale eye. The old man he now saw had blue eyes himself, the first Jim had ever seen, excepting his own reflection. Jim watched as he reached up with arthritic fingers and pulled back the wrinkled skin of his lower and upper lids, making the tired blue orbs appear wild and bulging.
3: The ice cat roams atop the hill in search of blue-eyed young to kill.
0: <laughs> Loken sang in a shrill, childish voice. Covering his face with his hands, he span away and capered about the room, still singing.
3: The ice cat wakes up there on high. Don't go up, she'll scream, you'll die.
1: <laughs> Lorcan, time for a swim, dear. Hurry now.
0: Rinks had appeared again through the chain curtain, which she now held aside for the old man, who cavorted through the doorway and out to the sandy swamp beyond, still
1: singing to himself. I'm sorry, child. If I had known, I wouldn't have left you with him. He's harmless. Just older than any man should be allowed to get.
2: His eyes. Is he a scanned?
0: Jim asked hesitantly.
1: Blood is. Parents were. But he barely remembers that life. He spent most of it by himself in a ruin till Mark saved him and brought him to me.
0: Rink sighed and looked out toward the open door.
1: I never met
2: one before. My eye is just... it just went wrong. I'm not...
1: I know a child. I can read it.
0: Here. She handed Jim a glass of water and produced the bandage for his eye, now cleaned. He pulled on his shirt and realised that for the first time there was no
1: pain between his shoulders.
0: Thanks.
2: For my back, I mean.
1: Ain't nothing. All I did was grow you some new skin. Next time you're in port, I can fix up that eye. If you have a bar. Oh, I'm staying. Jim drained
0: the glass thirstily. I'm looking for work in town, but thank you. I'll think about it. He found the captain outside, sitting upon a fallen mangrove and attempting to smoke a bowl of herbs Jim recognised from Syrinx's outer room.
3: Please cat, we hear your call. But won't climb up, we'll die, we'll fall.
0: <laughs> Loken's rhyme echoed eerily around the swamp, and the captain watched as he cavorted in the shallow, sandy pools nearby. He looked up as Jim stepped out into the daylight.
1: All done. Smooth as a new barn toward.
0: Rinks replied from the doorway, giving Jim a start. The captain fished out a jangle of bar coin from his pocket and tossed it to her.
2: Next time, Rinks.
0: He bowed, set down the bowl, and took off again along the track for town. Jim hurried after him.
2: So that's it? Am I done now?
0: You're done. The captain nodded, then glanced at him.
2: Free. So, the next thing will need to be a favour. The next... What's the next thing?
0: The captain pulled his hat back on and nodded toward town. I need you to come to the tavern. The Smicken Sun was the first tavern Jim had ever set foot in. He almost hadn't been allowed in. A sour, gap-toothed sailor with too much skin had barred his way and grunted, No kids! until he recognised Cap and chuckled some unintelligible words of greeting before beckoning them inside. Once inside, Cap had handed him over into Slip's care, though Jim had hardly recognised the young bosun beneath an odd drooping hat pulled low over his purple bandana. He was whisked away to a grimy table beneath an even grimier window. There was a stranger at the table who turned out to be Darge, only now she wore a high-collared coat with a deep hood. A questionable-looking drink was thrust toward Jim and he took a moment to look at his surroundings while he weighed whether he should drink it or not. A tangle of rusty compressor pipes hung on one wall, all frosted with a thin film of ice, which seemed to be cooling the stuffy room to a bearable, almost pleasant level. The place was dark. The bright pillars of noonday sun that beat in through the dull windows barely made it past the outer ring of tables, before being slowed and stopped by the heavy air that was thick with herb smoke, oil tang and humid sweat. The patrons seemed to share only a handful of limbs between them and even fewer manners. Near the centre of the room, the bar was fashioned from the hull of an upturned boat, supported on steel posts from which hung jars, bottles and barrels of all shapes and sizes. Cap... Jim wasn't sure what else to call him now that he wasn't working for him, was standing at a table in the middle of the crowded room. Across from him was a huge man, sweating into a heavy coat, his long thinning hair slicked back to the collar. He chewed a length of medicable, and a bowl of bluish smoke burned in front of him. It seemed almost half the patrons were watching the table, though few were doing so openly.
2: That's Sa,
0: Slip whispered, nudging Jim's drink toward him.
2: He's the one told us where your old ship would be, and when. How'd he you know?
0: Jim asked, raising the plastic tankard and sniffing its contents.
2: Sa's got half a hundred ships under him. Lots of coin, lots of years. Used to own the Archon, too, for the captain took it from him.
1: Used to own more than the ship,
0: Darge added, scowling in the opposite direction. Jim realised it was the first time she'd actually spoken to him, albeit without eye contact.
2: The Tsar's all business, no art. Deals in workers' fare
0: often. Slaves, you see. Slip explained.
2: There, that's your cue, Jim. Off you go.
0: Slip shoved Jim toward the centre of the room, where Cap was now seated across from this Tsar and beckoning toward him. Jim turned back hesitantly and saw Slip urging him on already sipping at Jim's drink.
3: You must have missed it, that's all. Or got the wrong vessel again, son.
2: Well, it just so happens I've got a lad here from the ship who says that's a crock
0: of Chi spat the captain, turning to him.
2: Jim? Um...
0: Jim hesitated, staring at the imposing figure of Sar. His heavy coat was open revealing a half-dozen sunpox lesions across his hairy barrel chest. He leaned through the veil of blue herb smoke and peered at Jim, smiling a licks-brown smile. Jim, is it? He said in a thickly accented voice, snatching Jim's hand and shaking it firmly.
3: You'll have to excuse old Mac here. No sense of decor, manners.
0: He mimed, lifting his hat from his head, though the hat itself was currently upon the table next to him, beneath an obese, sleeping cat.
3: Jeglion Tsar, third to the name, captain of the Four more, and chairman of the Russian Fleet. Pleased to make you, Jim Led.
0: Cap snorted.
2: Tsar here was just telling me again about all the niter that was supposed to be on the trostle, Jim. That same niter you saw them deliver to Gradlon a day and a half before we
0: got there.
3: Ah, uh, no. Let's mind the facts, shall we?
0: Saar held up a thick finger.
3: Jim, the ship was full of niter, were it not? No.
2: Well, I mean it was, but.
0: Saar turned to Kat.
3: And the ship was where I said it would be. You boarded, her.
0: Cap rolled his eyes.
3: Obviously we did, but... Well, it seems to me everything I told you were true. I told you what she carried, and where she'd be and when. Don't recall specifying what would be on board the day you found her? You're joining the two facts, so to speak.
0: He spread his hands wide, as if no case could be simpler.
3: Now, it were plastics you found on board, you said. Just happens so that I'm in the market for plastics.
0: <laughs> he smiled, a twinkle in his eye. Make you a fair
3: price. Not
0: in a hundred years. Cap thrust his chin at the old man and made to stand, but Sar grasped his hand.
3: Oh, God. You know I ain't got that long, Mac. Not young like you.
0: He grinned, scratching the cat's skull.
3: But sure, while we're on business, I got a better offer for you.
0: He lifted the herb bowl to his face and inhaled deeply, sending the blue smoke rolling across the table and surrounding them like a mist.
3: Got a whole ship for you, bigger than the Archon, faster, too. Needs a new captain, a whole crew, in fact. Finds herself suddenly lacking for hands.
0: The tavern fell abruptly silent, all eyes turning to the door, where a trio of clerics in their uniform rough tan robes had entered. They were met by a shady, nervous-looking figure who guided them to a dark corner. Pushing the cat aside, Tsar slowly lifted the corner of his hat and withdrew a silver chain upon which dangled a thick, silver puck in a tight-fitting copper cage. He studied the curious tech relic for a moment, before dropping it into a deep pocket and glancing at the dark corner where the clerics now sat. "'Got to be careful.' Sar grumbled, seeing the look on Cap's face.
3: Up to no good, that lot Got themselves all fired up lately, under some new fanatic.
0: Slowly the conversations began to start up again, though Jim noticed they were quieter and more guarded now.
3: So, this ship. Come work with me. She's yours. No franchise. Not like the others. You'd be your own boss this time. Pick your own jobs. All the support of the fleet. I already
0: pick my own jobs, said Cap, standing up. Do you? The Tsar asked with a smirk. His eyes a twinkle.
2: And nothing's as fast as the Archon. Not when the fuel runs out.
3: Ah, but the sneaky bastards went and fitted oars to this one. "'Oars!'
0: He leaned in close and raised an eyebrow meaningfully.
3: "'Oars so they can't be heard, see?'
0: The captain went suddenly still, concern etched on his face.
3: "'Don't worry. I let them all go. "'Won't be spilling no secrets.' He tapped his nose. And now everyone remembers why you don't go against old Tsar. So, how about it? For old time's
0: sake, girl. Uh... Cap leaned over the table.
2: I'd rather swim naked through the Cobalt Sea with a stake clutched betwixt my cheeks.
0: Tsar laughed and spit a glob of lick spittle to the floor.
3: I don't doubt you'd survive it, neither. Never been too good at staying in trouble, have you, Mac?
0: He turned to Jim.
3: What about you, son? No purple on you? You looking for work, then?
0: But before Jim could answer, Cap had seized his arm, whistled to the others, and they were leaving. The baking moonlight outside... Was all the more oppressive after the cool of the smicken sun. Darge quickly abandoned the coat, and the four of them crossed the dirt packed streets toward a janky square lined with stall vendors and walking merchants. Darge rubbed absent mindedly at the purple bandage over her left bicep, while Slip retrieved Jim's weld tanks and wheeled them over to him on a cart. Jim spotted Kaba haggling over a delicate scarf, his broad neck already hung with a half-dozen pieces of intricate knotted jewellery. Slip chuckled, but Darge just shook her head disapprovingly.
2: What was that about?
0: Jim asked when they stopped at the edge of the square.
2: (laughs) Oh, he's just buying gifts, laughed Slip. There's girls in town, Jim. Girls, you'd do well to avoid unless you want a case for the port
0: scratch. No, I mean with Saar. Jim turned to Cap.
2: He offered you a ship? A whole ship this time, was it?
0: gnarled Darge, raising an eyebrow at Cap. He had her crew killed, Cap said,
2: for going against his word. By fitting
0: oars, Jim exclaimed, disbelieving.
2: Surely, by using oars,
0: Cap corrected him grimly.
2: Using oars to go places they aren't meant to go.
0: He looked between Darge and Slip, his face fuller of a meaning that Jim couldn't read.
2: Come on, we've a lot to do before the noon bell tomorrow.
0: He held his hand out.
2: Thank you, Jim. Remember, you're no one's damn property now.
0: Jim nodded, struggling for the right words as the trio walked away.
2: Oh, say goodbye to Gam for me. I forgot.
0: Cap just pointed at the sky.
2: Don't worry, he can probably hear you. Oh, that reminds me. Here.
0: He turned and tossed something bright toward Jim, who caught it clumsily. Opening his hand, he saw his bent and broken eyeglass. The lens cracked in three places, and now with some scratches Jim suspected were from Puggle's beak and talons. He looked up to thank the captain, but the pirates had already disappeared into the crowd. Our voyage through the world of the Risen Tide continues in the next episode, which is already here on the Tales of the Risen Tide podcast. New chapters will be released on Monday and Thursday every week, so hit subscribe to stay up to date, or, if you just can't wait, the full tale is available today on Audible, Spotify and more. If you'd rather read than listen, head over to talesoftherisentide.com or Amazon to grab yourself a hard copy or ebook. Thanks for listening.